Welcome to episode four of the Christmas podcast. I'm recording this a little bit out of order, so I've actually already uploaded episode five, but this is episode four. Um, I don't really know why I did this, but I did. (laughs) Um, Today we'll be starting off with this list of things that I wrote down that I think during a dressage test. Um, So this is kind of either things that I've thought to myself or thought to my horse. Either way, here we go. Um, What's next? What movement is next? Um, Oh, I did it. Halfway done. Don't look at that. Where am I going? Where are you going? Does this look as hard as it feels? Is this straight? Are Are we going straight? Oh, I think the haunches are leading. Turn, 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 turn. (laughs) Stop. Square. Square up your legs. Smile. I'm tired. I'm gonna eat after this. She didn't do any of this in the warm-up. Are they watching me? I think they're watching me. Those people over there are definitely watching me. Do I know them? We need to practice that more at home. Of course, now that it's over, she's relaxed. Of course. And she's looking at everything. So those are the list of things that I think during the dressage test. Um, And yeah, that was just kind of an amusing thing for me to think of. Um, Other things I think when I'm warming up and not in the test, just a lot about where people are and if they're in my lines or not. Um, Calling lines. Um, if it's even helpful for me to call lines, because sometimes calling lines doesn't help a situation, just distracts the other people on the horses. So warm-ups can be really difficult. Um, another thing I think a lot when I'm warming up or when I'm headed over to the warm-up, I'll do my test in my head a bunch of times because I tend to worry about forgetting my test. I haven't forgotten my test in a long time, but I still get really paranoid about it. Um, what else do I think? Um, I have to double check that I have my spurs and my number because I forget both of those. I don't forget my whip though, which is good. Um, and yeah, I think those are the things that I think in the warm-up. I think a lot more things in the test than I do in the warm-up. Um, the warm-up, I'm just kind of fact-checking. If I don't have whatever I need in the test in the warm-up, then I don't have it at all. You know, you're not going to be able to manufacture an entire test um, in a 30-minute warm-up. It's You're not going to get all of the things that you needed your horse to know taught in 30 minutes. So if the horse doesn't know it in that 30-minute warm-up, then your horse isn't going to know it when you go in. Um so sometimes if a horse is struggling with something in the warm-up, you just kind of have to accept that is something they're going to struggle with in the test. You don't get a lot out of schooling something that the horse isn't going to get better at in 30 minutes. Um, there are a lot of things that a horse actually can only do once. You have to save that once for the arena and not do it in a warm-up, which can be really difficult to wrap your head around, especially at the upper levels. The lower levels, you can school whatever you want in the warm-up. And it doesn't matter, the horse won't be tired when they go in, but when you get to like the FEI, the upper levels, the international levels, you can't expect to do all the things in the warm-up, practice all the things in the warm-up, and then have them be perfect in the test, because a lot of horses only have one trial in them, they only have one attempt. Um, 
for example, the pirouettes, I would say, can be really challenging for some horses. Some horses have to do a couple in the warm-up in order for them to be good in the ring. Um, I've heard that one tempies, a lot of horses only have one line of one tempies in them on any given day, maybe in any given week even. So things are definitely, you need to do things strategically on test day. You can't just willy-nilly practice things without strategy. All right, that was our intro for podcast number five. Um, And next we'll be moving on to our topic. So today's podcast topic is actually going to be what Dia did today and what Ginny did today. We're going to make those two normal segments into today's topic. So we'll start with what Dia did today. So today it was kind of windy. Um, I wouldn't say cold, but a little windy, which means that the palm fronds were blowing. So Dia was feeling a little bit frisky. And we were able to get some twos at the end of the ride. Um, I worked on the trot a lot. So I did the trot shoulder ins, the trot half passes, um, and doing all of her trot work that she would have to do in the pre-St. George. Um, I like to school things with her uh, with the goal of doing them in the pre-St. George since that's her highest level competing and that's kind of level she's at right now so in an effort to maintain her capabilities I try to school movements like the shoulder and the half pass at the pre-St. George level so she did um, that today in the trot I worked on the trot because I worked on the canter yesterday and I just wrapped up the ride with some tempies I did threes fours and twos which is normally what I do for tempies um, she only did four twos because she was feeling really frazzled, but I also wanted to use all that frazzled energy to work on the tempies. Um, I could have stopped riding after the trot work, but she had a lot of energy left in her, so I just continued to use that energy and steer it towards the twos. So, moving on to what Ginny did today. Oh, also, Dia tried to take off with me um, multiple times. Which she does in Florida more than anywhere else because Florida stresses her out um, and the wind and the palm fronds stress her out. Anyway, what Ginny did today. So because I did a lot of canter with Ginny yesterday, um, if you refer back to, I think, an older episode or just a different episode, sometimes I record these in a different order. But in any case, there was another episode where Ginny did a lot of pirouette canter and changes. Um, So that's what she did yesterday. And today, I just wanted to do some trot work. So she's kind of doing shoulder and half passes, just like Dia. Um, And she's kind of between the third level and the pre-St. George right now. Um, It's overall just making the quality of the movements better. She can be a little inconsistent, as I discussed before, um, going into the left rein. So that makes the shoulder in and the half pass challenging for her. But she did really well today, even though she was tired. Um, and the trot work was really good. I didn't do a whole lot of canter. I did do a couple single changes, and they were very accurate and nice and smooth. So that was really good for her.
um, the draw work for third level and the pre St. George, that kind of in between place where Ninny is, it's more about personal progress for her, whereas like she could compete in the pre St. George. Um, but the question is, would she be good at it? Um, so we're really just trying to like hone her abilities and go for more consistency. I want every time that I do a half pass to get the good half pass. And I don't necessarily mean the first half pass of a ride is going to be perfect, but I think by the third half pass, it should be as good as it's going to get. And this is true for Dia. Most of the time, it takes two or three half passes for it to be really good, but when she gets that really good one, it's the really good one. So you should be able in one sitting to get the good movement for the level you are trying to compete, and Ginny isn't always quite there. So that's what I mean when I say we're looking for some more consistency with her. She is kind of in between levels because her shoulder in is perfectly fine for third level. Um, inconsistency is okay for third level. They just want to see clarity of the movement. The shoulder in is introduced, I think, in second level. Um, so they just want to really be able to see a difference. They want to see that the horse is in a shoulder and they want to see that the bend is happening. The consistency isn't as necessary. Um, so she could bounce off the contact a little bit and as long as she's holding angle um, in the shoulder and that's okay. Um, in the pre-St. George, they want consistency. It should be consistent and it should be expressive, which means the horse shouldn't slow down drastically to go to the shoulder in. And horses will do that sometimes. Um, when I was working on the shoulder in, even a few months ago with Ginny, her draw around the arena was very different um, than for the shoulder in. I would have to slow it down a little bit. I'd have to tuck it under a little bit. So you do want to tuck the trot under a little bit, so bring her hind end under and engage. That is necessary. Um, the lateral movements help them to do that, so the shoulder in is actually helpful in asking her to engage. However, sorry, a horse just kicked outside my apartment, so I just got a little distracted. Um, but the shoulder in requires some engagement. And when you're initially teaching that and working with that and improving that as I was a few months ago, sometimes that also means that the horse slows down a little bit and that's their tendency. And even though that's not quite accurate, um, because they are trying to engage, you don't wanna correct that behavior yet. So this actually speaks to a larger issue of when do we correct things and when do we let them go? So you have to really keep in your sights the goal of what you're trying to do. If I'm trying to engage her in the shoulder in and improve the quality of the shoulder in by adding more engagement and not just sideways angle, if I want that hind leg to step underneath her and support her weight instead of her just kind of drifting sideways, then I might forgive her for being a little inconsistent in the contact with the bit. I might forgive her for slowing down a little bit if she is engaging because the point is that she engages. The point isn't that all of these moving pieces are good together right now. Um, and she might have 
a really good shoulder in with no engagement. She doesn't slow down and she stays consistent in the contact, but it's important in the upper levels that she engages. And this happens a lot with a lot of movements when you're trying to improve them. The the other good qualities that you thought the horse had down will kind of disappear when you're incorporating a new aspect to the movement. So when you add engagement to this concept to a horse's repertoire for the shoulder in, you can expect to lose some other aspects that you had already thoroughly taught. And you just kind of have to trust that once the horse understands the concept of engagement thoroughly, that they will reincorporate and easily remember um, consistency of contact and um, consistency of tempo, which is that speeding down, the speeding up, slowing down thing. Um, Dia is a lot more consistent for a lot of reasons. I've said this before, I'll say it again. She's 16 years old. She's at the peak of her training. Um, she's schooling things now a little bit. Like her twos could use a little improvement, but they're pretty well taught at this point. I say they could use a little improvement because sometimes she can't do them perfectly. Like today, she could only do four because she was feeling frazzled, but that's circumstantial. I think on a good day, she can always do the twos, and even on an okay day, she can do the twos. Um, and that's seven twos. I typically school in seven um, or eight if I'm on a wall and not on a diagonal because you have to do even numbers if you're not changing direction. Um, so six, seven, or eight I consider a good line of twos. And if they can do that on a regular basis, it's pretty well trained. Dia's issue is shoulder throwing. As I've discussed before, she likes to throw her shoulders right or left, mostly to the right. Um, so when I was first initially teaching her the twos, she would do that a lot more. And she would also spurt off of the hind legs a lot more. Um, my point is that Dia does what she does, and she's 16 years old, and she's trained. And so all of the things that... I may be unteaching with Ginny or kind of putting on a back burner with Ginny to teach her new things, those will come back to her later. Whereas with Dia, because she's just so much older and more trained, I don't have to put things on the back burner necessarily. Um, she's just at a point in her training where things don't go on the back burner as often. Um, and if they do, I might even put something on the back burner for the beginning of a ride and then bring it back into the picture by the end of the ride. So I might need her to do, for instance, I'll use the shoulder in example. If I want more engagement on a shoulder in, um, but she's not quite through enough because she has issues with throughness, her neck is really solid sometimes, it doesn't bend very well. I might put throughness on a back burner to ask her to engage more, but by the end of that ride, I should be able and can normally ask her to be more through and engage at the same time. So in a span of like 10 minutes while I'm working on the shoulder in, I can put the throughness on the back burner and then bring it back to the forefront and keep the engagement. Whereas with Ginny, I might have to put the consistency of contact on a back burner for a couple weeks or even a month or so while I teach her about engagement in the shoulder in. So it's really interesting how this combined segment of what Ginny and Dia did today, it's interesting how I worked on a lot of similar things, um, but the training styles and techniques for the two horses are very different. First of all, they're very different horses, but second of all, 
they're in very different stages of training. Dia is very familiar with the learning teaching process. She knows how all of this works. I know how she works. Um, I've been training her for four or five years now. I've only been training Ginny for about a year. Um, so our training learning relationship isn't 100% yet. Um, and that takes years, I think at least for me at this stage in my learning process, it takes years. That isn't to say that I can't ride a horse well in a short amount of time, but in order to fully know a horse inside and out and know exactly how they're going to be, not just today, but next month, that's something that takes years. Um, and how do I know how Dia is going to be next month? in a way that I don't know how Ginny is going to be next month. So first of all, Ginny is just in a state of always changing right now. Um, this is common for horses that are around seven. They're in a stage of their training where they're learning about carriage. So them trying to figure out their own balance is very difficult, um, very challenging. It requires a lot of brain power for them. So their body is always trying to figure out how to hold themselves with so little support from you and how they can do all of these movements while holding themselves without the support from you. So she's just always changing anyway. Um, Dia already has learned this stuff. I mean, Dia's carriage isn't good because she's downhill, but Dia understands the concept of carriage and it's as good as it's going to get for her. So she's consistent at this point. She's not in that shaky stage of training that seven-year-olds typically go through. She's not doing that. So she is how she is. So I can typically know how Dia is going to be based on the circumstances just because I've worked with her so much. So I know that, and it's kind of about trusting her as well. I need to trust that I've taught her things. So like, even though she might have a couple months of really light work where I don't ask her to engage a lot, um, I can trust that she will be able to engage in two weeks of work once I start to put her in work. And the first week is going to be rough. Um, she'll be heavy on the forehand, she'll be out behind, she won't be able to hold weight on the hind end. It'll feel like I'm riding a first or second level horse who just doesn't know what they're doing sometimes. Um, and I just kind of have to trust the process and get through 45 minutes at a time. So I just get on, I ride for 45 minutes, I do what I can, and I try to work in kind of sections. So I like to work on the neck. Um, because her neck gets really stiff and solid, so I'll stretch out her neck um, by bending it both ways. Um, and then I'll do baby engagement by doing leg yields. Her warm-up always consists of leg yields because she's so long and flat and downhill and kind of out behind by nature. The leg yields help to engage lateral movements um, and... Leg yields in particular really help to engage. Leg yields are one of my favorite movements. I mean, I talked about them in the spooking video, I mean podcast, but I love leg yields so much. I think they're so useful for so many things. Um, we could have a whole segment right now about leg yields and why not? We might as well. So leg yields. I find leg yields great for spooks. You can, as I've said before, you can leg yield horses into what they're afraid of without them looking at it. Um... They're great for teaching a good canter transition. 
from a walk or from a trot. So for a young horse or for a horse who just doesn't have a great grasp, or even for a horse who does have a good grasp on the concept of walk to canter or trot to canter, it can just be a really good preparation technique to do a couple strides of leg yield before you canter. And what the leg yield does is bends the horse to the inside, so you leg yield from the inside to the wall. Um, so you're bending the horse to the inside, which you want. Um, they should have a little bit of shoulder four or inside bend for a canter transition. And you're pushing them into your outside leg. So, and you're engaging that inside hind, which is going to be the load bearing leg when they pick up the canter transition. So you're kind of setting up that leg for success. You are helping to eliminate the issue of fumbling legs when the horse goes to take the canter transition. Which legs they pick up and send into the canter depart are very clear to them after you do the leg yield. Um, leg yields are great in warm-ups to do some baby engagement. So before you really start to do forward and back exercises to collect and um, more broad lateral movements like the shoulder in and the haunches in, those movements that more specifically collect and engage, the leg yield kind of is like a check back checking point. So you're seeing how easy is this for this horse today? Is she easier to collect when I leg yield left to right or right to left? Like which leg is she responding to more? So it helps you fact check for the rest of the ride. How's the rest of the ride going to go and how easy are things going to be later when you're doing more complicated engagement and collection work? Um, and it also just helps the horse start thinking about and begin to engage at the beginning of your ride. So yeah, I love the leg yield. I think it is one of dressage's best movements, and I think it is great that is introduced so early on. I think it's, I think the first level test three is really good because it has that leg yield, um, line in it. When I did the first three, I remember there being a leg yield line where you went K leg yield to X and then X leg yield to H. And this line at the first level is similar in difficulty to the half pass line of the pre-St. George. So this is actually really well executed here because you're introducing a kind of a concept um, without the same level of difficulty that the horse is going to have earlier on or later on and that the rider is going to have later on. The leg yield back and forth line in first three is comparable, comparable, <laughs> is comparable to the half pass line in the pre-St. George. Um, Obviously, for a pre-St. George horse, the leg yield line in the 1-3 test is a piece of cake and is incorporated in the warm-up. Dia does that in her warm-up. Um, Jenny could do that in her warm-up. She doesn't, but she could. Um, so, obviously, I'm not comparing them for a pre-St. George horse. They're not the same level of difficulty, but they're a similar concept, um, and I really like it. I think that doing it in first three 
and thinking about the leg yield line in verse 3 uh, helps a little bit with the foundation of doing it in the pre-St. George. Obviously, there's so much more going on in that line for the pre-St. George, but um, it's interesting to think about these parallels. Like, where are the parallels between the levels? Where do we see one idea that reminds us of an idea later? And this leg yield half-pass, these two lines are so similar because in the 1-3 test, you're introducing this concept of baby engagement. Um, and they have to do a, ch a quick change of bend at, X, bend at X and leg yield the other way back to the wall. Um, and at first level, this is as difficult as going straight, doing a change, and then half passing back to the wall at the pre-St. George. Like, considering the skill level of the rider and the horse at each level, they're fairly comparable. And I just think that it's a really interesting parallel to see. So I think this concludes the um, combined topic and segments of what Dia and Ginny did today with some concepts about the shoulder in and the leg yield incorporated. Um, I hope that you learned something or that you're having a little food for thought right now about it. Um, and have a good day. Okay, bye. <laughs>